Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Best apple I've ever had will probably, I am told, never made it to public market. Um, we were living in Abbotsford, and just out, uh, if you just head a little bit to the east, uh, there's a place called the Okanagan Valley, and we had, we had some friends, and their, um, her parents lived there. She grew up in the Okanagan Valley. Um, uh, they're in British Columbia, and so we go there a few times. Um, her husband and myself and her dad, we'd go deer hunting, um, uh, once we, a couple times we went bear hunting, and so just had a great time. Sometimes uh, the ladies would come along and, and do some fun stuff. And so, Chad, you can show that that first slide of just some of the pictures of the Okanagan Valley. I just pulled these up um, off Google, but it's an absolutely—it's this big, long lake, and it's—it's it's absolutely gorgeous. All kinds of vineyards and wineries and fruit orchards of all different kinds of apples and tomatoes and peppers, and just just a gorgeous place. And this is where Helen is from. Right? Like, Helen gave up this to live here with John. So she really loves Nebraska, or she really loves John. So anyways, thank you, Helen. We're glad you're here. <laughs> um, so anyway, so one day we're there, and uh, and we're at you know, our friends, her, her parents were, were at their place, and uh, they had this box of apples in the kitchen. They offered me an apple, and I had an apple, and it was, it was fantastic. Like, it was a really, really good apple. And what they told us, though, and I th- I, maybe they got the apples from some friends at church or something like that. He was, he was a pastor there, but it was, they had been working on this kind of apple for a long time. It was some kind of hybrid between, like, a couple other different apples, but the Whoever it is that controls this thing, Canadian Apple Farmer Market Board Association or whatever, something like that, had decided not to take it to market because the, the skin was too thin and they didn't think that it would do well in, in the trips to all of the grocery stores and it would get too damaged and too bruised. So there was this amazing apple, but they're telling me that it will, like, no, no one will ever get to experience this, right? Like it's... and. We were trying to remember the name. Joe thinks it may have been called an, an opal apple, which so I looked that up. There is one place, one place in the U.S. that does grow them in Northwest Washington, um, and so and then I think there's some places like in Austria. So uh, so maybe maybe it did sort of hit, hit market, but it, it's kind of a, a reserved thing, and um, but yeah. So uh, and and it could be too one of those things that you know. I once saw a t-shirt that said, the older I get, the better I was. Um, maybe it's kind of like that, you know, just the more time passes, the, the better the apple was. Uh, I'm not sure. But I remember it as being a really, really good apple, and then just the, the shock that, that no one would ever get to try this apple. But growing fruit, or, and really, I mean, any plant, like a lot of you guys are farmers, you guys get this, but it's fascinating because there are dozens, maybe even hundreds, of external factors that you can change and tweak which really create like thousands of different combinations or or possibilities or or outcomes. But the actual like growing process, the the actual growth 
Like, that is something you, you cannot affect. Like, that's between the plant and God, right? I mean, you can, you can try to change some of those external factors, but the actual growing, that's just, that's just between God and, and the plant. You can affect the setting, but the growth is up to God. So we're working our way through the book of Galatians. Um, Paul had uh, written this letter. letter. There's several, and you can pull up that map. Um, there's several churches in the regions of Galatia. This would be like central Turkey today. Uh, Paul had done a missionary journey there, and so he planted many of these churches, all of these churches, I don't know, but Paul's writing a, a letter to just all the churches in the region because he has received word that false teachers have worked their way into the churches. Um, and so Paul is needing to redirect and correct them um, pretty, pretty fast. So he is very aggressive in his terminology. He's very abrupt. He is very, um, he is very to the point. He uses strong language. And he's not trying to be mean, but he can't be there in person. And so he needs to get their attention, and he needs to ch- have them change course pretty fast. Right? And so there's no, there's no easing into this. Um, he, he, he just jumps straight to the point. And the false teachers were teaching them that, okay, yes, Jesus is good, but you also need to follow the fullness of the Old Testament law if you're going to, you know, uh, have rec- peace and reconciliation with God and all these other kinds of things. And it completely, completely undermines the gospel message that Jesus had just shared with the world about, you know, grace uh, through him, right? And so um, this is not like some mild alteration that is happening like, this teaching is a corruption of the gospel. So Paul comes after it hard. Um, and in usual Paul style, in, in most, probably all of his books, Paul will spend the first part talking a lot about our identity in Christ and what that means. And then after we understand what our identity in Christ is, then he will give us practical instructions on how to live that out. So we're in Galatians 5, and so we're kind of in the section where it's the, the practical kind of more explanations on, on how to live that out. And in today's passage of Scripture is the, the fruits of the Spirit verse, right? And in Christian circles, very popular verse, okay? Um, I'll read this to you, uh, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? People memorize this. They, like, make songs to this for, like, the little kiddos to memorize. Like, women, like, cross-stitch this on pretty things and, like, hang it up. Like, really popular, fun, warm, fuzzy verse. Um, And for good reason. Great verse. Love this verse. It is kind of interesting, though, because right before it, Paul gives another list, uh, which we tend to not memorize and cross-stitch, and it talks about the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay. I've never seen that on a t-shirt. Right? Like, we don't, we don't talk about that one. But Paul is setting up a contrast. He was wanting to show what does it mean where just a life that's lived by the flesh and a life that is, um, you know, where the Holy Spirit is in control. So let me read this passage to you. I'm I'm in Galatians 5. I'm going to start in in verse 16, and then we'll talk through it just a little bit. Uh, Starting in verse 16. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So as I said earlier, Paul is giving us this contrast of a life that's controlled by the flesh versus a life that is controlled by the Spirit. The first thing to note that, that I would point out that, that Paul tells us is that these two things cannot coexist. They just, they, like, I mean, and this is not something like, oh, maybe they just need to learn to get along, and maybe we can find mutual ground, and kind of a 50-50, and we can, like, no, there's none of that. They're diametrically opposed to each other. They fight against each other. They cannot, they cannot coexist. They cannot live together, and so they will always be fighting against each other, and what that means for us is that realistically, like, this battle is going to be going on within us until the day we die, right? And it is a battle between the two. There, there's no coexistence on this. It was also very interesting to me that several of the commentaries really picked up on the difference between works and fruit. Because Paul says the works of the flesh are, and then, you know, we get that long, colorful list. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit is, and then we get that long list. And that's not really a difference I would have picked up on. Like, I don't, I just, whatever. I mean, Paul's just using words. Like, I, I really didn't, to me, that didn't seem very significant. A machine works. Uh, it cranks out a product. Uh, but it's lifeless. There's no life implied when we talk about work. In fact, even, even, the, even Scripture will talk about how the law produces um, works, but they're, they're dead works, according to Hebrews 6.1. But fruit implies life. Fruit comes from something that is alive, from something that is living. You have a living organism creating another living organism. When we talk about work, we tend to think about effort and labor and strain and toil. But when we talk about fruit, we tend to think about beauty and growth and unfolding of life and something that is enjoyable to look at or to eat, something that brings nourishment. Work feels noisy and loud and active. Fruit feels quiet. Uh, it's happening with or without you. Uh, it's peaceful. And, and in a peculiar way, 
with, with fruit and with growing, there's almost a stillness about it. Because you can stand before whatever fruit tree you're looking at, and it can be dead quiet, and you're not doing a single thing, and yet growth is happening. There's, there's, a, there's a stillness about it. So here's the lesson. What the Holy Spirit is prepared and willing to produce in, your, in you and in your life is not work, right? It's not strain, it's not effort, it's not toil. What the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life is beauty and nourishing and for the benefit of others. And it's life-giving and it's beautiful and it's peaceful and at times it's even still. When God inspired the book of Galatians, he was gracious, right? And so he expounded and explained in more detail what he meant, right? Because he talks about works, and then he gives us this long line, and he talks about fruit, and, and he gives us kind of this whole big long list as well, too. But it's fascinating because, though, if, if we had the patience to really thoughtfully meditate on the contrast between works and fruit, you know, the Holy Spirit could have, like, cut out three-quarters of the passage, Right? Like, that's just additional explanation for our benefit on what he meant by the flesh produced works and the spirit produces fruit. The Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and desires to produce something wonderful and beautiful and life-giving through you and in you. So if the Holy Spirit wants to do this, then what's our part, right? Like, do we have a role in this? Um, do we have a responsibility? Does it happen without our involvement or without, without even our consent? Like, like, what do you, like, what's our responsibility in this? Every so often you, you hear a phrase and it's just really good and you hear it once and it gets burned into your brain. Uh, a guy was teaching on, on John 15 and he said this, you don't produce more fruit by straining harder, you produce more fruit by being better connected to the vine. You don't produce more fruit by straining harder. You produce more fruit by being better connected to the vine. John 15. I'll just read some of, some of these clips out of this. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, I, uh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, multiple times, Jesus is giving us this formula for, for being better connected to the vine, and it's abide in him, or abide in Jesus, right? And so my hope for everyone here is, is, is to, you know, to pour out fruits of the Spirit and, and for our, this church to be known for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But the way forward on that is not for me to 
you know, berate you and yell at you and tell you to try harder and, you know, just strain really hard and all these other kinds of things. The one guy was once joking, but it wasn't really a joke, but it was really good. But he said, you know, the typical three-point sermon is God's good and you suck and try harder. And so I was like, all right, I cannot, that cannot be my sermon. Um, so that just doesn't work. If you want more fruit or more spiritual in, in your life, you don't focus on the fruit. You focus on, on the vine, on the abide in Jesus. Like that's how you affect the growing process. So in John 15, Jesus gives us two pieces of advice on how to, on how to grow fruit on, and, it, uh, and how to abide in him. Uh, John uh, 15, verse 9, abide in my love. It's interesting, when people first start um, recognizing the voice of God or doing like listening exercises to hear God's voice or that kind of thing, just about every time, the first thing that is reiterated to them over and over in that is God's love for them. Uh, it's not like, hey, here's what your future is going to hold or here's whatever. Like, they just hear over and over God's love for them. That's the first message and the number one message that, that, that people sense. Just that the Holy Spirit impressing upon them that God really, really loves them. And even in Paul's writings, as we've talked about, right, like he will first talk about our identity in Christ and God's love for us, and then he will shift into kind of more the practical how, how you do stuff. And it's my observation, though, that abide in my love, I believe, actually begins with head knowledge. Um, to, to, to cognitively know and understand the extent to which he loves you. Now, sometimes then a, a strong... Um, feeling experience will come along and cement that, which is awesome. But I think it begins, though, with just that understanding. Because if, if, if feelings, your feelings will betray you, right? Like they're going to fluctuate and come and go, and does God really love me? And if you're basing that on your feelings, then you're living a lie. So you, you have to just cognitively know and take this at a deep level, his love for you. To abide in his love is to first know and remember that God loves you. Uh, and then Jesus says this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So Jesus tells us, right, that, that knowing the commandments, obeying the commandments, keeping the commandments, okay, that's one of the ways that we abide in his love. To a non-Christian, obedience connected to love may sound actually narcissistic. Like, they will push back on that and be like, your God is whatever. And if we read this verse in isolation, then yeah, it may look like we are earning God's love. But when we look at the fullness of Scripture, we know that God loves us and that God has always loved us, and even when we were unsaved, God loves us, and that his love does not fluctuate with our obedience, right? Like that is set in stone because his love flows out of his character and his love is not a response to our conduct, right? And parents, you get that, right? I mean, before your kids start paying rent, you still love them, okay? But we also understand that the mission of Christ, that the purpose of the church, like that's really, really important. Worshiping God, growing disciples, telling others about Jesus. And so we're in this together and, and this cause is really the most important cause in all the world, so it deserves full commitment and obedience. But we also understand that obedience is not just for God's glory, but in, in some cases it's also for our protection and even our, our benefit. And again, 
right? Like, I mean, as the parents, you, you understand this because we expect obedience from the children, sometimes just for their own safety and benefit. So to have this connection between obedience and God's love is not kind of some fragile, ego-driven thing on his part, but there's a large part of that that's actually very protective and nurturing for our benefit. Keep my commandments is going to come back to knowing scripture, right? To obey the commandments. You have to know the commandments. To know the commandments, you have to read the scripture. So there's this implied instruction to know the scripture. A failure to keep his commandments is going to be one of two things. It's going to be a sin of omission or it's going to be a sin of commission. Sin of commission. I did something wrong. I committed an offense. Sins of omission. I did not do something that I was supposed to do. I omitted a good deed that I was supposed to do. Legalistic, self-righteous Christians love sins of commission because it's easy to point them out in others. Right? You did this bad thing. Shame on you. You need to repent. You need to apologize. I am so shocked and horrified that you did this thing. Blah, blah, blah. And they will get really upset about this bad thing that you did. Meanwhile, they fail at, you know, grace or hospitality or outreach or patience or gentleness or joy. But when they fail at those things, they're actually submitting, committing sins of omission because they're failing to do the things that they should be doing. And sins of omission are easier to hide because if I don't do something, it's less likely that someone will notice. All that to say, if you are going to keep his commandments and if you are going to abide in his love, it is not enough to avoid the bad. You also have to do the good. Because if you do the bad, it's a sin of commission, and if you fail to do the good, it's a sin of omission. Another key factor in abiding in his love, I believe, is to cultivate worship and awe. And worship is going to be different for different people, right? Maybe it's music, maybe it's nature, maybe it's silent retreats, maybe it's loud concerts. Whatever it is, right, like whatever worship is, like identify that and then lean in on that. And, and there is a part of worship where, where there are times where we worship, even if we're, it's hard and it's, we're not in the mood and that kind of thing, but we choose to worship, and that's all very true, but not for today's topic. But for today, just finding those things that help your heart and your mind redirect their focus on God. And like what are the things that help your heart sing? Like, identify that, and then do that. More of it. When it comes to abiding in God's love, sometimes we feel stuck. Um, and there are definitely seasons where God runs us through a desert for a bigger purpose. Um, I, if you look at a lot of the major characters in the Bible, God ran most of them, if not all of them, through a desert before he entrusted them with a certain leadership position. So there is, there is a place for like, hey, this is your season in the desert. But sometimes we feel stuck and it's more on us rather than on God. Um, years ago, uh, in, in the early days of Trek, we had this amazing lady uh, come and teach on hearing God's voice. And in her material, um, she, I mean, going through scripture, she had about two dozen things that can create a bit of a block 
uh, in our relationship with God, or sometimes like in, in, in that setting where it's just really hard to hear God's voice, and, and, and these things were creating difficulty in that. And um, so I'm actually going to go go through this list. I'm not going to unpack it uh, on all the stuff here, but my prayer is just that if any one of these pertains to you, that the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate that in your life so that you can work on addressing it. Now here's the thing. Almost certainly for you to address this is going to require someone else because if you could have done it on your own, you would have by now. So if it's still there and it's still a problem, and you try to fix it, then, like, you need reinforcements, okay? Um, so anyways, just about two dozen things that, that can create a, a bit of a block or a stuck feeling on, on all of this. A lack of love for God and for others. You struggle with unbelief. Uh, immaturity, you've not taken steps to grow your faith unforgiveness you have not forgiven others i think that's probably a bigger one than than we realize and there's a whole lot that we could be said about forgiveness but um you've not forgiven people you've developed a callous conscious neglect just not spending time with god uh, laziness on your part pride idols Here, here's a horrifying phrase what you think about most is what you worship and this lady was the one that taught me that phrase, and that phrase has haunted me ever since. Thank you, Donna Jordan. Immorality. Um, dealings with the occult, and there's a whole bunch of stuff like that, um, even if it was long ago. Uh, disobedience. Fear of man. Busyness. Sometimes the work of God becomes more important than our walk with God. Uh, thought lies. Attitude. Not honoring your wife ungratefulness unconfessed sin sometimes we have authority figures who are leading us down the wrong path or we've been betrayed or hurt by authority figures in our life not honoring your parents and there's verses for all these by the way uh, perhaps you've had a difficult life experience uh, that has jaded you towards some of this uh, you do not know your identity in Christ like you just haven't learned it or embraced it or something, you don't understand your identity in Christ, or you do not know Christ's character, and so you're not living in his truth. Fear. Or condemnation. You feel condemned, and you don't understand the difference between condemnation and conviction, and which one is which, and which one is helpful, and which one is not. Some of these may require reconciliation. Most require repentance. And if you've tried and haven't been able to get past of it, then they also require reinforcements, which may be a friend, which may be a professional counselor, or somewhere in between. One last point. You know, if, if you look at this list, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of them are easily observed by others. Um, in fact, I would actually say that most of them benefit others, right? There's some benefit to you as well, too. I mean, just being more peaceful or, or that kind of thing, right? Um, but I would offer that it is impossible to grow in any of these and not have it observable by others, right? Like, you're not going to grow in peace, but no one noticed, right? You're not going to grow in kindness, 
but no one around you really picked up on that. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, so here's the thing, is that if others around you do not see you growing in this, then you are not maturing as a Christian. If others cannot see this, you're not growing and you're not maturing. Because every single one of these is, should be easily observable by those close to you. Unless someone else can confirm it, it's not happening. But the fruit, such a great word, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Each one of those, we could unpack a lot. Those are all really great. But if the goal is to grow in them, then our discussion needs to be about the growing process, not just the end result. And God, in his mercy, tied scripture together in all different kinds of marvelous ways. And so Jesus talks about fruit. And so from Jesus we learn that if we want to grow in this, we abide in God's love. We obey his commands. Cultivate worship and awe. And if you're stuck, you identify what that is. You get some help, you repent, and you move forward. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture and its beauty and its truth. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to do all these amazing things in our life. And God, we thank you for the mystery of growing. And for this phenomenal illustration of, of fruit that helps us understand, Holy Spirit, what it is that you want to do in our lives and, and how you want to bring that about in our lives. Lord, I pray for every person here, myself included, that we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would abide in your love, that we would obey your commandments. And the result of that would be more fruit in our lives, observed and confirmed by others. And that in all of these things, Jesus, that that you would receive the recognition and the praise and the glory. We love you and we worship you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.